Good evening, this is Peter Coleman. I'm a professor of psychology and education uh, at Columbia University on faculty at Teachers College and the Earth Institute and uh, co-director of the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity, which is sponsoring this series on peace and conflict um, at the, the leading edge at Columbia University. And uh, today I have the great pleasure of speaking with and interviewing a, a, a longtime friend and colleague of mine, uh, Mr. Johnson Barquette. Uh, we came up together at Columbia. Johnson took his PhD at uh, Columbia University um, and is today the Assistant Secretary General heading the United, Nation, United Nations Ombuds and Mediation Service. He's an expert in mediation conflict resolution with a particular emphasis in organizational and cross-cultural negotiation, which we'll talk about because John has been involved in implementing a mediation system around the United Nations system globally. Uh, he previously worked um, with the United Nations as a negotiations instructor and a consultant uh, and as an advisor on reforms to the administration of justice within the UN. He also served as an ombuds at Pace University in New York for 11 years and taught conflict resolution and mediation at our center at Columbia, the International Center for Cooperation and Conflict Resolution. Um, using alternative dispute resolution, conflict management, uh, Mr. Barquette has worked for over 15 years as a mediator in New York State Courts, has served on the board of Westchester Mediation Center, also served as chair of the Ombuds Committee for both the American Bar Association and for the Association of Conflict Resolution as a past president of the International Ombuds Association um, and subsequently has served as chair of its international committee. He is a fellow of the American Bar Foundation. And as I said, he received his PhD from Columbia University where he did research on strategies to create what we call negotiation ripeness in very difficult intractable conflicts, sort of getting people to the table who oftentimes are warring with one another and find it very difficult to negotiate. Uh, he also holds an MPA in government from Pace University and a BA in psychology from King's College. John, thank you for coming. Peter, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to see you again and to have a chance to talk to you about your work. So um, you've now been um, an assistant secretary general at the UN for six years, five, five six years now? About six years now, yes. Okay. And um, I know when we spoke when you first uh, took office that um, one of your main tasks that uh, the UN looked to you for was to help establish um, an ombud system. So maybe we can talk a little bit about what an ombud system is, but you, within the United Nations, around the world, which entailed taking kind of best practices of conflict resolution at the UN and translating it to West Africa and Asia and Latin America. So, um, so maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the work you do at the UN, and then we can talk about how you took on a project of global scope like that. Well, absolutely, and thank you again for having me and the opportunity to chat about something I'm, I'm very passionate about. And, yeah, you're correct that the, uh, a while back, uh, just before I joined the UN, there was a reform initiative in the, in the UN to think about how to have better systems of justice within the UN just as the UN would encourage good justice systems for nations and groups, uh, the organization and the member states who comprise the UN felt it was very important for the organization to walk the walk. Right. And so it essentially uh, 
took a look at the formal system of what we have with the justice system. So just as a as an aside, yeah. when you join, when staff join the UN, uh, they don't have access to national courts. Mm. They become an international civil servant, and so the court system must be established within the UN. So they're a very strong court system within the UN. So they have no recourse. So if you live in New York City, you don't really have access to those courses for grievances. You have to really work within the UN. Exactly yeah. right. So the, so it's incumbent then in the system to create a parallel system that is fair right. for, for everybody. So they have that. And additionally, <clears throat> the reformers noted that it was equally important to have a balance of informal resolution mechanisms. So conflict resolution in the organization, they felt, should be uh, cutting edge, should be preventive. And as part of that, they enhanced the ombudsman program. And an ombudsman, for, for the listeners who are, are joining us today, is essentially a conflict resolution expert mm -hmm. who works within to resolve issues that arise of any type uh, within a very complex and richly diverse organization like the UN. And one of the reforms they added to that was, or, or three areas, was to add a mediation component. So I had mm -hmm. an area that's both ombudsman and mediation, and we mm -hmm. can talk about that uh, in a bit. And uh, secondly, they wanted us to decentralize because there's a tendency in organizations or an organization like the UN to become headquarter-centric. Mm -hmm. And they really wanted to get out to the field because most most of the staff in the UN, about 60% or more, are located out in the field, mm -hmm. uh, uh, maybe maybe even a higher number than that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was the, the second thing they wanted to do. And they wanted us to establish regional offices right. to, to better deal with uh, uh, the organization. So you say, so again, there's informal and formal. So if I'm a UN employee, the, if I have a grievance against a supervisor or someone I'm working with, I can file a formal grievance and go through a formal process, and that is timely, and time intensive, expensive, et cetera. And then there's what they call more informal. And so ombuds and mediation are, I think, considered more informal processes. And ideally, those are the places people go first, right? Ideally, and that's what we try to encourage. We yeah. try to encourage, indeed. You know, we, we think of it very much just as the UN is that place where nations can go to find a way to resolve issues, sure. that the ombudsman mediation area serves that role within our system, right. a place where you can go to try to negotiate and talk out the issues in, in hopefully a less adversarial way. Right. So you're trying to be organic to the mandate of the UN internationally and trying to do that internally as well. Exactly. And I think the, uh, the Secretary General uh, has been very supportive and this idea of a workplace that really models that, mm -hmm. uh, both accountability and harmony and, and collaboration has been, uh, has resonated deeply with him. Mm -hmm. So you work, uh, you report to the Secretary General? Correct, yeah, yes. Yeah, and, um, and so when, uh, is there a particular vision that he has had for the ombuds, for the informal processes that he's imparted to you that's been part of your agenda? He's very much believed, I think it resonates with who he is as an individual, that it's a workplace is richer when people are able to acknowledge differences, yet find ways to work around those that acknowledges the differences but are collaborative in the strategies to overcome the obstacles. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, been, that's resonated well with the purposes of our office. Sure, sure. 
So you come in and uh, you've been at Pace. You've been a ombuds before, but then uh, they say we want you to expand the capacities of this globally. So take what is more of a, a headquarters-centric process and expand it into the field duty stations worldwide. Right. So how do you do something like that? Very carefully, very <laughs> cautiously. Uh, but yeah, I've been I've been a mediator for my much of my professional career, right. and I see ombuds and mediation very interchangeably. So I was a mediator before I was an ombudsman, and what was nice about this opportunity is a chance to uh, work in the UN system to take sort of a novel approach to integrating ombudsman and mediation programs within one area. And as you correctly note. One of our first tasks was to move out of New York and establish offices. So we have eight offices around the world. So in addition to New York, uh, we have in Santiago, Chile. We have in Bangkok and Thailand. We have in Vienna, in Austria, Geneva, in Switzerland. We have in Nairobi, in Kenya. We have Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Mm -hmm. And we have in Entebbe, in Uganda, which mm -hmm. that office originally started in Sudan, but with the split of the country, we had to relocate out to, to Entebbe. Hmm. Uh, so we are quite, uh, hopefully I didn't miss any of our offices, but we're, that was quite a challenge to think about establishing, and not only the establishing, but now how do we operate and deal with issues and conflicts that arise not only in those areas, hmm. but essentially those are the hubs from which we serve our staff who work all over the world. I see. Okay. So, right. So how do you do that? So again, so conflict resolution, mediation processes in the field, there are kind of a set of procedures that people use in trying to frame problems as collaborative problems and getting people to, you know, be a little less emotional, listen to each other a little more carefully, find common solutions. There are those kinds of processes. But you're, you then are tasked with going to places that have sometimes very strong indigenous local practices that are respected and utilized, and you're bringing in this sort of, you know, somewhat Western-informed set of procedures like mediation ombuds. How does that work? How do you work locally with people to make that work in different parts of the world? So mediation, at the crux of what we would do with a mediation, what we do find is there, there are some very common issues that arise with any individual regardless of culture. So things like people wanting to feel respected, valued, and heard. I mean, these are things that are common yep. through people all over. And we really try to build on that. Mm -hmm. We also try to recognize that while people bring their own cultures, uh, they're also part of a UN culture. And sure. there are norms and expectations for the UN. But you do raise uh, an excellent point that when we are working with people in Asia or we're working with people in Latin America or South America, uh, there are maybe different challenges that arise mm -hmm. in resolving or mediating cases than may arise in Europe or the U.S. or, or somewhere else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so what, one of the things we've noticed in our program at the International Center for Cooperation Conflict Resolution at, at Columbia, which I'm sure you experienced when you were uh, working with us, is that we have an international student base, right? And, and, and yet a lot of our models are more, you know, researched in the West, developed in the West. Um, and so we'll have people that will be here for the first time from West Africa or from, from Japan. 
And yet, you know, some of the assumptions of our models are that, well, if you can really be, be clear about what's important to you and tell the other person what's really important to you, then you can really find solutions that work. And yet, in some cultures, that's just inappropriate, right? Absolutely, and, absolutely right. And, you know, for example, there in an Asian context, when we do our mediations, often when you sit with an individual, we find that in that culture, in some cultures, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to say that all Asian cultures are the same, sure. but in those cultures, often there will be a particular uh, respected elder mm -hmm. or somebody who is very influential in how to resolve uh, a particular conflict. It uh -huh. may be a senior colleague or someone else who's viewed as in this type of role. And when we try to sit and mediate with uh, an individual, they may then further go and consult with this elder. So mm -hmm. what we are hearing from the individual may still, unknown to us, have to be vetted and thought through mm. with that very influential person, either in the workplace or, or perhaps from outside the workplace. Mm -hmm. The other challenge that comes up is in a Western context, we're much more comfortable with saying, let's sit down face to face and just hash it out. Mm -hmm. And in some cultures where people are much more mindful of authority or respectful of hierarchy, mm -hmm. they may be uncomfortable to sit face to face with a boss or uh, someone at a much higher level and say what you're what you've done is very offensive to me sure sure so we might try a different strategy where we shuttle between the parties and we meet with one mm -hmm. then we go to another location or another place and meet with the other party and in doing so we let the issues come forward but we do it in a way which saves face or uh, allows them to uh, maybe not be embarrassed to challenge the other, but yet achieve a resolution sure. that works mindful of the particular cultural sensitivities. Sure, 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 yes. So are there, um, have you run into particular challenges in this hybrid that you can talk about? I know that a lot of what you do is confidential and, and you can't talk about, but uh, are there specific um, you know, uh, either in terms of implementing this around the world or in terms of this particular issue of, well, how do you work in a particular cultural context in a way that's respectful of the context and power differences and uh, preferences for how things are resolved? And yet, as you say, the UN has its own culture. Maybe let's, let's start there. C can, you, can you characterize what the UN culture is? People might be interested in, in your sense of that. You know, Peter, prior to the UN, I've worked in very diverse organizations, yeah. all within the U.S., but very diverse organizations. Sure. It's nothing like what I've experienced in the UN because the diversity is exponential uh -huh. compar comparatively. So not only do you have visible and other types of differences and people from dif different ethnic backgrounds and religious, but you have lots of national differences in yeah. the workplace and in the workplace, lots of languages spoken. So it's a very, very rich organization. Mm -hmm. It's also uh, an organization where people are working dedicated very hard to achieving uh, very important, mm -hmm. sometimes high stakes, high risk, objectives throughout the world. Sure. There's a noble uh, calling. It's a noble yeah, calling yeah. and 
you take that on top of the fact that it's a big bureaucracy. Right. And so, you know, you have, by virtue of the degree of accountability that people have to have in the organization that creates all these uh, bureaucratic uh, challenges sure. to navigating and doing this important work. So sure, it, sure. it just adds a degree of complexity to, to the equation. Sure, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so um, I was, I was going to change a little bit uh, the topic if we can. So I know that in your, so you have, um, how do I put this, a formal role as the uh, director of the Ombuds and Mediation Services. And so part of that has been designing and implementing these processes and supervising mediators and ombuds around the world. Um, but also, I know that you travel extensively in your work and you uh, um, travel about different regions of the world and, and, then are, and then are often in a somewhat informal or semi-formal context asked to be involved in consultations with either diplomats or people on the ground. Um, is that a, something that you can elaborate on a little bit? Is that, uh, uh, is that considered, is that defined as part of what you're expected to do? Or is it because of your expertise people sort of draw you in when you happen to be in Af uh, Afghanistan or when you happen to be in Iraq? I think our primary mandate as an office is to handle workplace issues. Yep. And nevertheless, when we are involved in helping with workplace issues, people often have questions on the substantive area that they're working on or a personal sure. issue they may have. So somebody in New York might say, thank you for helping with the workplace issue. I've got a problem with my co-op board, uh -huh. right? So, <laughs> right? So we'll say, sure. well, okay, you know, maybe right. we can direct you to a, an appropriate resource. Uh, sure. We've been uh, thinking a lot about how we present a holistic view of conflict and how it's resolved so that people are much more comfortable mm -hmm. with this approach when they see how it's useful in different areas of their life or their profession. Uh -huh. So we had, for example, recently in Nairobi, we had a week, a thematic week, where we just focused on collaborative negotiation. Mm -hmm. And we had, to begin with, the organization did a collaborative negotiation workshop uh, that we kind of assisted with, but the organization ran. We then had three brown bag lunch uh, seminars where our staff presented really important but kind of approachable topics on how to handle conflict, mm -hmm. different aspects mm -hmm. of how to handle conflict. So this is everyone within the Nairobi office? We had access to be uh, able to go to it. And I then, see, yeah. And then what we did also, which is to kind of broaden out, I think, as you're, as you're getting to, is we also uh, had programming that really dealt with the substantive area that the folks there in Nairobi are dealing with. So, for example, in Nairobi, we have a UN Habitat and United Nations Environmental Program, and they're dealing with really uh, uh, sensitive issues of negotiating issues about uh, uh, urban cities or mm -hmm. about the environment. And we provided two sessions that that provided experts in environment or other areas who could talk about how you use collaborative uh, methods mm -hmm. in that area as well. So mm -hmm. people often are very eager on how this can be used in other contexts, and and we're glad to point them in the right direction uh, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. encourage that as we can. Makes sense. So let me ask. Let me drill down a little bit into Kenya. So Kenya has experienced political violence, waves of political violence over the past ten years, um, oftentimes associated with the election cycle there, um, and. Um, 
I imagine that those divisions and, and hostilities uh, come into the workplace, even though there are, the, you know, you employees, but a lot of the you employees in these locations are Kenyans, right, are, are uh, um, local nationals. Um, so um, how, how does the UN Ombudsman Mediation Service manage and help those kinds of things when you're dealing, when you're working in conflict zones um, and the conflict zones heat up? Um, uh, can you talk a little bit about y at least your strategy? Again, I know that it's hard to talk about specific cases, but can you talk about your strategy of, of managing those kinds of sort of life and death con conflicts that come into the UN space? Yeah, as you're right, there's no uh, wall high enough that will keep tensions in a country or a city or uh, outside environments from spilling over when they're indeed that tense. Yeah. Uh, and maybe not to pick on one particular country, but we do often find that I the UN hires uh, people we call international staff from, from around the world, but where we go into particular areas of the world and establish offices, we also hire national staff who are from that country with the idea that uh, they can provide a valuable uh, resource and benefit to the organization, and that also they hopefully benefit from the UN so that if and when the UN eventually is not there any longer. Yep. They have additional skills that they can give back to their country and, and contribute mm -hmm. in, a, in a productive way. Uh, as you can imagine, issues can come up, even cultural issues, between people who are the nationals and sure. the internationals or within the nationals, because sure. if you have a conflict playing out in a country uh, and people are from a particular religious group or sect or tribe or anything like this, yeah. uh, those same issues uh, can arise in the workplace sure. and we are very mindful and aware that this is something we need to attend to very carefully and very well so there mm -hmm. are many initiatives that the organization takes uh, to deal with that and we as a mediation service spend a lot of time trying to understand what those challenges and concerns are mm -hmm. of those what we call national staff who are yeah. essentially the staff from those particular countries sure. and it also uh, in the context of resolving them you can get very very tense situations um, with cultural implications that are beyond what you might think uh, going in so I'll give you an example sure uh, I was asked to mediate a case in Afghanistan recently and without going into the details of what the case was about, it involved many, many national staff, mm -hmm. uh, probably over 50 national staff, mm -hmm. uh, who had some concern with the organization. And we uh, went in and had a few days of, in of intense mediation. Mm -hmm. We reached a settlement agreement, finally. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you can imagine, in such context, it's important that it's resolved in a way that is durable and that where the agreement will last and is seen as serious mm -hmm. to people. Mm -hmm. And as you noted earlier, from different cultures, yeah. the way you seal an agreement is different from culture to culture. And sure. so I recall at the end of this uh, mediation, I asked some of the parties, I said, so in this context, what would make this mediation, what would end this in a way that you would feel culturally is significant and binding? Would allow it to stick. Exactly. The agreement to and, sustain. And yeah. they said, well, we would sacrifice a goat mm -hmm. and we would do a religious prayer. Uh -huh. And so that 
to me uh-huh. is not typically the way I end a mediation. <laughs> right. Sure, right. <laughs> and so we, you know, we discussed that a little bit. Right. And part of the challenge for me yeah. as a Western sure. uh, mediator was to allow that space and to see the validity of that sure. in that context. Sure, sure. Now, maybe unfortunately for them, but fortunate for the goat, they weren't able to do the goat part. <laughs> but uh, they were. We were right. able to incorporate because of the time that w- that we took where we had to leave. Right. But they did incorporate uh, some very traditional religious prayers uh-huh, uh-huh. that were done at the end of the mediation session, which uh-huh. which was something that drew the parties together and sealed the, the mediation. So you felt so the prayer helped. The group that you were working with sort of unify in some ritual way, and you felt that that gave the agreement more stability and durability. Well, and it, and again, it's what the parties felt was important to them. Right. See, we as mediators, as you know, we right. try not to impose on the parties what we think uh, is Will the work, best way right. to resolve. And, and the agreements all come from them, uh, meaning the substance of the agreements, and we facilitate that process we shepherd the process and then they ultimately uh, decide what works for them makes sense so I'm going to ask you a little bit about the future Um, so I know as a a, in at your level and your position you're expected not just to sort of manage and run this complicated shop but you're expected to you know you're a visionary you're a leader and you have a sense of what where the organization should go where your department should go can you give us some taste of what you see as the future of dispute resolution, conflict management within the within the UN system? Well, Peter, maybe maybe surprisingly, I I think that conflict will continue in this world in most <laughs> organizations. So, yeah. given that, and given that we are also always learning from from our efforts to resolve conflicts and mediate uh, in a, in any context. Yeah. One of the things that I think we've been looking at has been how to present a holistic approach to conflict resolution, uh, a more integrated approach. For example, in our area, we're taking ombudsman approaches, which is a a whole spectrum of ways to resolve issues, Mm -hmm. and trying to marry and incorporate that with mediation Mm -hmm. uh, and and to kind of do that in a very fluid way. And um, just to be clear, so um, ombuds, how would you define the difference between the two? Yeah, so ombudsman, an ombudsman essentially tries to resolve issues in the workplace, but they can work with an individual Uh and just help coach that individual and give them options on on what they help them explore options that would work for them. They can try to assist with untangling some bureaucratic snafu in Uh the organization. Uh, They can do a lot of different types of intervention, whereas mediation uh, is often can be more structured and focuses simply on that process of right. mediation, where right. an ombudsman has a wider latitude right. of what they can do to and resolve an issue. And an ombuds also can uh, provide some feedback to the institution, right? Anonymous exactly. Feedback so, yes. So the ombudsman would not only handle the issues that come forward, but they, the pillars that we've been involved in, this goes to our holistic approach exactly the, as, as you brought up, that we would additionally look to identify what the root cause was that may have contributed to the conflicts that we see. And so we might identify a policy or practice that might have been particularly 
creating or contributing to a problem draw attention to the organization so they can create change. And I, I think we have, along with other areas in the organization, have, have drawn attention to things which the organization is attending to in a very real way. So we see mm -hmm. uh, that not only resolving individual issues, that there's been real organizational attention shifted to areas to see how they can improve and reform the organization as a result of our systemic identification. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the other area which we've been focusing on quite a bit has been the prevention component. And that's what we're calling conflict competence, which is essentially how you can learn skills in an organization to navigate your way around these problems to begin with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, so we're going to have to wrap up in a second. John, what, uh, what about this experience, this position, this role that you've been in, do you find most fulfilling, most exciting, most satisfying? Well, Peter, as someone who's been a mediator for most of his professional life, yeah. the opportunity to work full-time doing something you love, sure. I think for anyone out there who has whatever their career is, is something we shouldn't take for granted sure. and, and is a great Privilege, uh, blessing yeah. and privilege sure. to have. Yeah. And to do it in an organization where that sensibility yeah. of mediation is shared in parts of the organization as well yeah. uh, is an additional uh, fulfilling factor as well. Sure. I have to say that the team and staff uh, of ombudsmen and mediators that I work with are incredibly talented incredibly dedicated and to have the opportunity to work with a team from which I learn so much every day is very professionally rewarding uh, and the other colleagues that I meet in the UN system uh, always always gives us something new to think about and a new way to challenge our approach mm -hmm. so I feel like it's been a very good opportunity to really not only help the organization with with course corrections with the systemic issues and resolving yeah. interpersonal issues, but as a mediator and ombudsman, really challenging the way we operate mm -hmm. to identify best practices that hopefully we can then uh, share with colleagues like yourself so mm -hmm. that we can we, this can spread to other organizations as well, because we really think uh, that what we have uh, been experimenting with in the UN uh, could be a best practice for other organizations. My guest has been Johnson Barquette, who is the Assistant Secretary General at the United Nations and Director of the Ombuds and Mediation Services for the United Nations System. Uh, John, it's been a pleasure to speak with you, and uh, you are a leader in our field and really on the cutting edge, leading edge of practice in the field and, uh, and, and a thought leader in the field. So thank you for joining us and sharing with us your insights. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it.